Oh, yeah, kids go upstairs. Sorry. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Okay. Um, glad to be preaching this morning. Um, I know Tim, every Sunday, thanks someone in the ministry for the work that they do, the way they serve the church, and you know, Tim doesn't thank himself when he's up here. So I just wanted to thank Tim, and uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate you and all you do, and it's really a privilege to be able to have someone who brings the word and doesn't try to change it or distort the message in any way, um, who's faithful to that. And so that's, it's really cool to write a sermon and think about that when I'm writing it, because every time I've written a sermon for this church, no matter who the pastor was, um, their voice is in my head when I'm writing often, because they're the ones I listen to mostly, you know? And so phrases start coming out that they would preach. And so oftentimes, you know, I hear in my head, God is good, God is love, God loves us, He's for you, He's not against you. And that's an encouraging thought to have when you're writing a sermon. So, um, I appreciate that. Uh, Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. For those of you who are familiar with the Gospels, this is one of the most famous uh, miracles that Jesus performed. It's a... it's the miracle of when Jesus stills the sea, when he, when he calms the storm. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that this morning. The last couple of weeks in Mark, we have gone through a section where Jesus was teaching in parables. Prior to that, we saw Jesus heal with miracles and have confrontations with the Pharisees and religious leaders. In the Gospel of Mark, it is becoming more and more clear that the teachings and actions of Jesus go hand in hand. So what Jesus teaches and how he acts in miracles, they go hand in hand. Jesus doesn't act without having a purpose for his actions, and his teachings and authority are being supported by the miraculous acts he has performed. There is this reciprocating relationship between his acts and his works. The way Mark is is written shows how they authenticate one another. Our passage today comes on the tail end of chapter 4 where Jesus is teaching in uh, parables. Uh, It's set up in Mark as a series of parables that Jesus taught on the water while sitting in a a boat. As Pastor Tim previously explained, Jesus taking up a seat in the boat on the water would have helped him speak to a larger audience of people. Uh, The water acts as a natural amplification for his voice, right? So if you have ever been by a body of water in an evening when the water is calm, um, you would know what I'm talking about when... I say that you can speak in a natural voice and be heard a long distance away. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, we used to go up to Michigan every summer to go my, to my grandparents' lake house. And in the evening when we would have our fires going, there would be people around the lake with ha- having fires going as well. And you could hear their voices pretty distinctly talking. And they'd be a couple hundred yards away. So that's kind of what the water does for Jesus' voice. And that was why he was doing that. So, Jesus had been given, given a series of parables on the water. And in verse 34 it says uh, that he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So, Jesus was keen in his followers on what the parables were teaching. Giving them insight that some of the other people did not have. So, that brings us to our section of scripture today, uh, which is Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And let's read that right now. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. 
Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, as I have already mentioned, Jesus had been preaching in the boat by the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a big lake that was called the sea. In order to be heard over the body of water, the water acted as that amplification I was telling you about. And in order for it to have this positive acoustic effect, it had to be pretty calm, right? Um, If the waves are crashing and the wind is blowing, you're not going to hear his voice over the crashing of the waves. Um, when you consider this and add in the fact that several of the disciples were experienced fishermen who probably owned the boats that they were using to cross the lake, uh, it would be safe to assume that there was no reason to worry that crossing at this time of day would be a peril. Jesus decided that it would be a good time to go sail across to the other side of the lake. It would have been about an eight-mile trip from where they were located. Whether it was because Jesus was tired or whether... It was because he was going to spread the gospel further. This passage of scripture does not specify. Either reason would have made sense based on our context. However, the story's significance is not diminished by why. um, Because we are given an important lesson, nonetheless, by what happens when they are crossing. In verse 37 it says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Now the Sea of Galilee was a very temperamental, or still is a very temperamental body of water. Um, I was reading and researching about how it behaves, and I realized that I have YouTube. And so I I went to YouTube and I looked up as many uh, videos of the Sea of Galilee as as I could, and I didn't realize how small, like, okay, it's called the Sea of Galilee, but it's about 15 miles by 8 miles wide, which means you can see all the way across unless it's an overcast, cloudy day with a lot of rain. And so it's really not that big when you put that into perspective. Um, But it's amazing when the wind kicks up, how much and how big the waves get. Um, So it's a very temperamental body of water. The disciples were were fishermen on this body of water, and they knew it well. The location of the sea is in this basin. So you have the, the sea, which is about, I think, 600 feet below sea level might be wrong on that. It's below sea level. And then you have the mountains or the hills around it that create this basin. And because of this, the storms would come and go very quickly. And they, would get, they can get very severe very quickly. Uh, most of the windstorms would arise during the day or particularly in the afternoon. Um, but they were less likely to occur during the evening, nighttime, or morning. So for this reason, the fishermen, they would go out in the sea by evening or night and come back in in the morning before the waves got worse. Um, So, as they set sail, there was no expectation that a storm would arise. They didn't know what they were going to get themselves into. However, if a storm did arise during the evening, it was often much worse than during the day. Um, So, it wasn't unusual for them to get caught in a storm, but the severity of the storm was great, as we will see. So, in verse 38 it says, Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
In verse 37, I'm sorry, I skipped that. In verse 37 it says, There arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling. So this storm was so severe that the boat was filling up with water. These fishermen who had sailed on this sea many times, who had caught fish for their living, for their life, were caught in a storm that they thought was going to cause their death. So this storm was severe. Um, They clearly thought they were perishing, uh, these guys who had experienced on the sea. This was not an exaggerated reaction to an insignificant present danger. This was real and warranted fear based on their present circumstance. So what do the disciples do? Well, they go to Jesus, right? Um, you know, at this point, they're probably all trying to bail water out of the boat. Um, we, we used to bail water out of the boat every morning when we were in Michigan because the rain would fill it up with water overnight. Now, if you, you can imagine someone dumping buckets of water into the boat and trying to bail the water out, and it's this race going back and forth, right? This is the situation that they're probably in. Maybe they wake Jesus because they want help with that. Maybe they come to him because he seems to always have the answer for them. Or maybe they're just annoyed that he's sleeping while the storm's going on and they're trying to save their lives, right? Whatever the reason is, maybe a combination of all these things, they go to him. And all they can think to do at this point is say, why don't you care about us, Jesus? Why don't you care about us? You don't care what's happening right now. Why are you asleep? So what does Jesus do? Well, he sees the disciples in their panic. Um, he sees the situation, situation around them, the waves crashing in over the sides in the shallow fishing, uh, of, the, of the shallow fishing vessel. And he stands up and he says, Hush, be still. Or in the ESV it says, Peace, be still. And instantly, just like that, the wind dies down and it is perfectly calm. And then he returns and he says to his disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? So Jesus can say a lot with few words, right? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He says a lot in these four sentences, or these three sentences. One short command and two short questions he says more than uh, I can probably say in this message. Um, He says a lot about himself. He says a lot about the disciples And really, he says a lot about us, too. So we're going to look at that today. So what does Jesus say about himself? What does he reveal about himself through what he says? The language that Jesus uses when he calms the storm is a very strong language. While there is no reasonable argument to be made from the text that this storm should be associated with a casting out of demons, the language that Jesus uses here is the same language used in other parts of the Gospels when Jesus casts out demons. Like I said, though there is no reasonable explanation to connect those two, Jesus was exercising authority and power over nature. He was using that same strong language that one would use when exercising the demon. So, in the Greek, Jesus is literally saying to the storm, Be muzzled. Cease all your violence and action and be calm. Jesus is revealing himself in a way that he has yet to reveal himself. He has cast out demons. We already saw that. He healed the lame. He has done these miracles that these people have never seen before. But this was different. In Psalm 89, 8-9, he says, 
O Lord, God of hosts, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea. When, it wave, when its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 104, verses 5 through 7 says, He established the earth upon its foundations, so that it will not totter forever and ever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away. In the speaking of God's deliverance of his people, the psalmist in Psalm 107 says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For his commands, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down into the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from, his, from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. So in calming the storm, in commanding the storm to be muzzled, Jesus is exercising the authority that only Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God that these Jewish commoners, these sailors, these fishermen, these tax collectors, worshipped as the creator and God over all. Jesus is displaying the same power and authority that only God could have. This was a different kind of authority that he was displaying that he had yet to do. This is something that would have been world-breaking to the disciples. If you're a Jewish man or woman in that time, this would have been world-breaking for you to experience this. Sure, they understood to a certain extent that Jesus was the Messiah sent by God, but to see Jesus display the full power of God, the power that only God, the God they knew from their history, the God of the Old Testament could display, they were overtaken with fear at the presence of this God-like power that Jesus showed. Jesus, in this action, is showing the disciples that he is God. He is the only one who created the deep waters. He holds the earth on its foundation. He is the one, when they cried out to him, stop the storm and deliver them from their distress. He is the one that brought them to their, to their desired safe haven. When Jesus said in verse 40, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He is telling the disciples, Haven't I shown you who I am? You saw me make the lame walk. You saw my compassion and love when I reached out and touched the leper and made him well. Not only did I heal his physical needs, but I healed his spiritual and relational needs, and I was compassionate. You saw my authority every time I, confront, I was confronted by the Pharisees and religious leaders, and you heard what I taught you earlier today even, right? When he was speaking on the water. So why are you afraid? Where is your faith? You have seen and experienced who I am. The disciples had an inability to cope with what had just happened before their eyes. Hence the question, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? For the disciples, it was extremely difficult to understand who Jesus actually was and what he was actually capable of. 
Because God in the flesh wasn't something real until Jesus came to earth. There were many mythologies and lore in the surrounding culture, but to actually have the God of the universe in their midst acting in all his godly authority and power, this was something they couldn't quite wrap their minds around at this time. In his teaching and through his miracles, Jesus was giving every reason for the disciples and the rest of the Jews who were experiencing this to believe that he was the Messiah. God come to earth to become man. And yet, there was still confusion and doubt, and it hadn't quite clicked for them. What the disciples lacked here was faith in God and in Jesus, his sent one, the Messiah. When they were panicking in the boat, they woke Jesus. And they they weren't thinking, okay, he's got this under control, this is the Son of Man, come in the flesh, this is the Messiah, the sent one on mission from God himself. They weren't thinking that. Their response, rather, was, sure, Jesus, I mean, you can heal the sick and make the lame walk. You can do a lot of things and you are wise. You know, you can stump the Pharisees. We haven't seen anybody else do that, right? No one else is able to do that. But having the power and authority over nature? Come on. There's no way you can do that. If they believed he could do that, they wouldn't have been panicked, right? They would have woke him and said, can you please stop this? You know, this is happening right now, Jesus. Just, just stop it because I know you can do it. That was the last thing they were expecting. Instead of looking to Jesus and who he is, they were looking at their present situation and forgot all that they had learned. They knew who Jesus was. They didn't clearly and fully understand who Je- that Jesus was God at this point. It's pretty clear, right? Their question at the end tells us that they didn't really fully understand at this point. Who is this man that he can do all these things, right? But instead, they should have gone to Jesus in faith that he would save them instead of panicking, right? When, he, when we get so caught up in the world around us, when we look at nature and think about think that there is this immeasurable power that can't be overcome by anyone, that nature is itself sovereign and its being and its dealings, right? That nature is sovereign. It can be easy to forget that Jesus himself has authority and power over the things that seem so immense and incontrollable by ourselves. It's easy to forget that. When you look at creation, when you look at the world around you, do you see that God has created all things and holds everything together? Or does the universe, the world, seem like some sort of God within itself that holds this immense power and we are at its mercy? The disciples did not yet fully understand all that Jesus was. They knew who he was supposed to be, the Messiah. But they lacked the faith to trust in him at this point. That is why they responded the way they did in verse 41. It says, They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word for fear used in in this verse, or I'm sorry, the word for fear used in verse 40, uh, when Jesus confronts them on their fear, um, it's pretty much the equivalence to cowardice. Uh, they, they feared for themselves, right? The word for fear used in verse 41, when the disciples feared Jesus, would be like doubling that word in strength 
and putting the focus of your fear on the object of your fear rather than on your own plight or danger. They saw Jesus and they became very much afraid. Saying, who is this? Even nature obeys his command. That is something no man can control. Jesus, the very man who walked to this earth and spent years pouring into disciples as a man, is also God and creator of all things. When you look at Jesus and then look at the immensity of this world, you should be awe-inspired and, should cre- and it should create in us this sense of fear and wonderment at who he is. Hence, godly fear. That this man would have power and authority over the things that make us feel so weak, so small and significant and helpless, the things that make us cower or feel cowardly, is great. This entire story can be used as a metaphor for how God brings our life into the storm so he can show us how powerful he is. He can show us how much he is in control. He can show us how much he has authority over everything threatening our lives and putting our lives in danger. It should come as no surprise that the early Christian church saw this story as a sign of Jesus having a saving presence in the midst of their persecution when they were overwhelmed by the world around them. This was the story that they went to because they saw Jesus in his full power and display. While this story should not be interpreted as anything more than Jesus is powerful over everything, trust him and have faith in him. That's the interpretation of the story, right? I think looking at him in this manner and applying the principle of his sovereignty and his control over all creation is something we too often forget to do. There is nothing that is too powerful or for too much to Jesus to handle. Our faith should not be swayed and thrown about by the ebbs and flows of life that happen. Our faith should be rooted in the consistency and faithfulness of God. Our faith is rooted in the power and authority of Jesus. That is why our faith is strong and a solid faith, because it's not rooted in ourselves and in the life around us. Because um, it is based on the true, all-powerful God of the universe, who never changes and will never fail us. Sure, it may appear at times that God has abandoned us to the dangers and pitfalls of life, right? Because um, we live in a sinful and broken world, so we're going to have that happen. The disciples in this instance sure thought that Jesus had abandoned them, right? They went to him begging for him to help them because they didn't know what was going to happen. But look how Jesus responded. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Even when you feel like God doesn't care or have concern for your well-being, and that you're left to fight through some real deep struggles on your own, don't look at yourself in your plight. Don't just focus on how hard your life is or how much you hurt. No, we should not ignore our situation. And we should not make believe that everything is okay when it's not. So I'm not saying ignore the pain and the struggle. What I am saying is that when we fear for ourselves, however that fear is manifested in our lives, or where that fear comes from, we are losing sight of Christ when we fear for ourselves. Our actions and reactions in all life situations shouldn't be driven by fear for ourselves. We need to focus on Christ and who He is. We need to remember who God is and how much in control He is. It can be easy to lose sight um, of that in the midst of our struggle, whatever we might be going through. But there is great hope for us in this story. Jesus didn't come and tell us who He was. Uh, tell us who He was. He didn't just come tell us who He was. He showed us over and over again in His life, 
in an undeniable way that he is the intimate, caring, and yet supremely all-powerful God of the universe. At his spoken word in Genesis, God, or Jesus created all that we see in creation. And at his spoken word, he commands nature, the very thing that you and I have the least amount of control over, right? So when anything in your life arises and you are driven by fear, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? If you have faith, then trust him. Have your fears be calmed and let his presence be your strength. Because there is no match for him. In the end, the struggles of life, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, are no match for him. And he can give you peace, however difficult your situation may be. And if you don't have faith, well, there is so much to fear. Because you have no rock. You have no foundation or strong footing. You can name all the rest of the cliches that are out there for this. But if you don't have faith, your fear will be for yourself. And you are not fearing the God of this universe. Your fear will be on your own predicaments. You do not declare what is and isn't. So of course you won't have the solution to your problems. You can't control that. Uh, Of course you you will continue to struggle and be driven by your sense of self-worth, your accomplishment, or happiness, or pride, or health, or anything else we can think of um, in our lives that we try to attain or gain in order to fulfill us or bring us peace and happiness. We pursue all these things in order to allay the fear that we fear for ourselves when we focus on us. We need to look to Jesus because we are not good enough in ourselves. We are not strong enough in ourselves. You are created. I am created. We are not the creator. So look to the creator because only Jesus can save you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are the creator of all things and in your hands you hold everything together. Lord, we can look at creation around us and we can see your glory put on display in the beauty of it, in the strength of it, in the power of it, and in our insignificance in it, Lord, because we feel so small. And yet you love us and you sent your Son to die for us. You, the creator of the universe, who created all things, sent your Son to die for us. And so we look to you, Lord. We look to you, Jesus, in our lives um, because we need you. We don't have the strength or the ability in ourselves. And if we do, we're kidding ourselves. So, Father, we just ask that um, that you would put in our hearts a reliance upon you a faith in you and who you are and what you have done, not in ourselves and in our trying hard and in our abilities, Lord, because we know that we can fail ourselves time and time again. But that when we look to you, you do not fail us. We ask, Father, for those of us who are struggling and who, go through, who are going through a struggle in life, Lord, that we can seek you and, and look to you and that you can give us that strength and that peace that can only come from you. And for those of us who don't know you, Lord, we just pray that you move our heart and that we look to you as actually who you are, Lord and King over all, and our Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.